Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Peppis, Director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is John Arroyo, an Assistant Professor in the School of Planning, Public Policy, and Management at the University of Oregon. Professor Arroyo is an affiliated faculty member in the Indigenous, Race, and Ethnic Studies Department, as well as in the Historic Preservation Program at the U of O in Portland. He serves on the boards of the Center for Environmental Futures, the Center for Latino and, La and Latina uh, and Latin American Studies, and the Collaborative for Inclusive Urbanism. Arroyo's scholarship draws on applied theories in urban planning and design, migration studies, critical race and ethnic studies, human geography, and urban sociology. His current research and forthcoming book project examines the transnational spatial effects and local uh, level policy implications of exponential Mexican migration and high growth US suburban new immigrant destinations in the US South. Arroyo is the director of the Pacific Northwest Just Futures Institute for Racial and Climate Justice at the University of Oregon. Thanks so much, John, for coming on the show. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for inviting. In January, 2021, the University of Oregon received a $4.52 million grant from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation to create the Pacific Northwest Just Futures Institute for Racial and Climate Justice. That's the largest humanities award the UO has ever received. How did it come about? Tell us about that process. Um, so this starts with the Mellon Foundation's transformation to focus all of their grant making on social justice. This was an announcement that the President Elizabeth Alexander had made um, back in uh, June of 2020. It was the um, height of a lot of the protests surrounding the murder of George Floyd. Um, there were a lot of climate fires and other racial disparities with COVID um, being put front and center in major news media and in policy. And so they had decided in their higher education unit to invite universities that already had previous large Mallon grants. Um, and so University of Oregon had been invited to apply. We had a large grant through the Center for Environmental Futures, $600,000 and a grant through our libraries, the GLAM project. And so, um, so UO um, pulled together a group of people, including myself, um, uh, Stephanie uh, Lemenager, um, Marsha Weisiger, Ali Reyes-Santos, Mark Carey, um, Laura Pulido, and several other partners, we were trying to think of what we can do that would be a hub and what was really significant to this region. And we thought, what if we connected our three states, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and looked at this intersection between race and climate. And so, um, so we applied, we went through several rounds. And for us, what it, it wasn't necessarily saying UO was just starting work on race and climate. It was us really scaling the current work and the awesome faculty we already had doing that, but without the resources that we needed to really take that to the next level. So it's a, a collection of new projects and a collection of some um, current existing tried and true projects that are now sort of expanding to new phases. So tell us about the Just Futures Institute's mission. So one of the key things that we want to do with the Just Futures Institute, JFI, is to expand and to create a space for all the underrepresented voices in the racial um, history of the state, which has really had a large hold on what the future is also. 
And I appreciate what Malin was doing because their transformation is to social justice grants, whether that was in humanity centers, in the museum grants, independent artist grants, was really saying, there's no way to move forward to a just future, a socially just future, if we don't understand our past, which I think for any of us who work in the humanities is the ethos, is the cornerstone of that work. And so for us, we wanted to make sure we highlighted uh, underrepresented voices that were coming with indigenous knowledge, with black, Latino, Latina, Latinx knowledge, um, new migrant histories that were starting to form in this region. Um, and for us, what was really interesting when we were preparing the grant, um, I remember writing a part of this, trying to leave Eugene um, during the climate wildfires in 2020. The grant was uh, the application we turned in early September. And that late August, we were seeing just a rise in the protests and Portland was always on the news. And we wondered whether or not anyone would look at what the narrative is of Oregon, which is a primarily white state that, that that's not that diverse, that has a lot of roots in white supremacy and other things and say that has happened and that has been part of the state's history, but what do we think about moving to a just future? And so um, this grant combines everything from academic incentives to publications, to programmatic work, to digital projects, uh, participatory action research and the whole gamut. So it's the Just Futures Institute for Racial and Climate Justice. Help us understand why those two things go together. How are racial inequality and climate justice intertwined? We've, when we were working on establishing the grant and what I necessarily see as this regional platform, um, we were really interested in trying to combine two things that are often separated and seen as isolated. People do work on racial justice and people do work on environment and especially being in Oregon and at UO and we have this growing environment initiative with Adele Amos um, uh, is really amazing because what we were trying to do is say, people talk about these words sustainability and other things, but actually these things are much more connected race and climate than ever before. What I've really wanted um, us to be able to do is help you get past these like early conceptions of what sustainability is and move to what sustainability 2.0 is, which isn't necessarily just about the, the root definition of sustainability, but it means saying when we look at, you know, who COVID is affected or um, one of the projects, Ice Flyer and uh, the, the Ice and Glacier Lab, Mark Harry's project, um, looking at how glacial melt and runoff actually affects um, farmers um, a lot of them indigenous using traditional ecological knowledge, others who are uh, Latinx uh, newcomers to the state and the hazards it causes to them going beyond just traditional science and hydrology and actually looking at that. And so I think when we look at even um, environmental migration, the Pacific Northwest is a big place for this um, and it has been destined to be that. The climate fires have really thrown that narrative off, but people are moving here more and more. And as that happens, as we see who's disproportionately affected by whatever it is, high um, you know, um, heat waves, these types of things, floods, uh, major rains, we're finding that more and more it's these populations that we haven't given much attention to. And to add to that too, is even thinking about rural white populations 
populations, working class populations, that actually have a big role in sort of who's underrepresented when it comes to how services and policy affect them outside of urbanized areas in the in the um, the most uh, densest places of the the tri-state region. So you've you've already mentioned some of your uh, collaborators on campus. You want to say a little bit more about the people and the units that you collaborate with? Sure. So um, this is a major collaboration between the College of Arts and Sciences um, and the College of Design. So it's two colleges. And within the colleges, it's about 16 units. Um, we're based in environmental studies, ENVS. Um, and we wanted to be in CAS because this was a humanity-centered grant. Um, but we've got my unit, 3PM. We've got Indigenous Race Ethnic Studies, History, English, Geography, Preservation, Anthropology, Law, Clark Honors College, School for Architecture and Environment, and Women, Gender, Sexuality Studies. And on top of that, we also have several campus-wide um, programs and initiatives, everything from the Center for Environmental Futures to the Labor Education Research Center, Critical Race Lab, Laura uh, Pulido's project, Collaborative for Inclusive Urbanism, and uh, Student Sustainability Center, Office of Sustainability, the libraries. So that's been great. Some of our other partners um, include uh, Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington, um, who are our main partner in Washington State, and then the University of Oscar, uh, uh, Idaho in Moscow, um, who's our main Idaho uh, partner. And then we also have Heritage University on the Yakima Nation also as a, another key partner. And so throughout all of that, we have a lot of intersecting projects. And we've got a whole list of community partners like uh, Picun, the Pineros and Campesinos Unidos, the Lummi Nation we're doing a big project with and co-sponsoring uh, groups like um, the Architecture Heritage Center in Portland, Van Port Mosaic, National Park Service. And so it's, um, it's, We've created maybe about 50 jobs altogether, ranging from student fellowships to other fellowships and things like that. And so, um, so a big part of this is really thinking about how what the traditional uh, mode of doing academic research is and blowing that out of the box and thinking, well, a lot of it has to be applied and how do people who are affected, the people we study actually respond to this? Do they respond to it at all? Do they know we're doing this research and how do they become a part in the joint fact finding early on that isn't coming at the end and we're emailing them a paper saying, I wrote about you. Um, and so the big, interest of the Mellon Foundation through a lot of this social justice research is trying to change the way universities also value this in promotion and tenure and in other ways because I've seen other foundations also making these big transformations and transitions into more applied work and I think it's something for a lot of our disciplines to stop and think about and say you know the theory is important I don't doubt that but how do we marry that with the actual work in a praxis formation that actually is much more generative more for the faculty, staff, and the student. So let's talk a little bit about the work that the students do and how they're selected to do that work. Tell us about that aspect of, of uh, JFI. Sure, so we've got a whole number of um, ways um, students can be involved. We've got a number of GE uh, positions. Um, we've got, um, I should, back up a little bit and say we've got eight themes altogether that comprise the Just Futures Institute. And these themes range from academic incentives, ways we're trying to get postdocs into tenure track lines, um, 
to um, Afro-Indigenous Healing, Ali Reyes Santos's projects with uh, Ana Lara, and um, looking at how traditional ecological knowledge and new formations of indigeneity, um, looking at our existing indigenous culture here, extant population, but also um, uh, new layers on top of that, um, Caribbean um, indigeneity and movement and migration to the Pacific Northwest and how that connects um, in forms of healing um, um, and change. And so that's important. We've got economic dignity. We've got, um, we're working on a really great project. Uh, we just published in the fall, um, the State of Immigrants Report with the Labor Education Research Center um, uh, and Bob Bussell's work there. We've got the ICE, ICE, uh, ICE Society and Climate Justice um, group through Mark Harry. Um, inclusive cities is one of the themes I manage, um, along with Jim Buckley in our Portland campus and historic preservation, and then a few others, Indigenous Lifeways with the Cl uh, Tribal Climate Change Project, the Next West Media Lab, which is what Whitman is working on, and Stories of Fire, which is what University of Idaho is working on. So each of these themes, I lay them out because each of them has very specific sets of how students can be involved. Um, we've got several GE positions um, every year, um, and some of them are long-term GE positions, more than a term. We post them on the grad website, and they're available um, on all of our social media and on our website. We've got ways for undergraduates to be involved because undergraduates um, can apply for one of the Just Futures fellowships um, through Taylor McComb at the Student Sustainability Center, which will match them with a community partner or a faculty member to do an applied project. And there's a stipend that goes into that for the faculty member and the student. Um, for faculty, we've got ways that they can get involved through um, course development grants that we wrote into the grant through um, looking at uh, environmental justice, especially anything dealing with climate change through what Mark Harry is working on. On. Um, faculty can get involved with students through our uh, student sustainability set, uh, the Office of Sustainability, that are doing a lot of work with um, faculty fellowships, partnering them with student projects. Um, and then another thing I'll mention is um, one of the big things we've been trying to do really is think about pipeline coming into the University of Oregon. And so something that would be great for me is some of the students involved in this, whether they're students from the on the community side or students already here, if they have aspirations to come to the University of Oregon, how can we help them see this as a home? And how can we help them actually like envision themselves here with the support of the networks that they would need with the faculty that they need to see and want to embody? And so those things I think are really important. So we've um, there's a lot of funding here for our tribal climate change project that has been a wonderful project here already um, and a signature project for the UO and being able to bring now more indigenous and native students from some of the surrounding schools, including Heritage University on Yakima Nation, um, to be able to come to the University of Oregon and share some of their research and be more involved in the stuff that's happening here. Amazing, incredible programs. Um, tell us about the Just Futures Fellowship Program. Sure, so the Just Futures Fellowship Program, this is out of um, the um, Student Sustainability Center. And this was really born as a way to honor some of the legacies of people who've done really great environmental justice work here already, but be able to connect a student that might say, 
I have a project, I'm not really sure where it's gonna go. I have a theme or an idea, but I really could use help. And a big part of the grant is not highlighting or exacerbating any of the invisible labor that a lot of underrepresented faculty go through. So we're paying faculty also to be able to match with that student. And this could come out of a thesis through the Clark Honors College or another unit and being able to do that. So this is, um, will happen over three years. And this comes also with a concerted training in terms of different ways and research modes to look at environmental justice work, bringing in some of our other partners and community-based participatory action research to be able to do that. And so all of this is happening and we thought it would be smart to not base this just in one unit, but put this in a campus-wide project or office the way the Student Sustainability Center is. So you've already mentioned um, the Indigenous Climate Change Initiative. So tell us a little bit about the other ways that JFI engages with Indigenous communities. Sure. So we um, we have done a lot of outreach with some of the local tribes. We've been getting a lot of um, interest from state departments. So um, our emails are filled with emails from the Department of Education or the Oregon Health Authority um, or land conservation, any of these groups. And so we've been able to help counsel some of the policy change that's happening there, anything dealing with climate or environmental justice. Um, we're looking a lot also at at the synergies that happen. We understand that we have these borders that are really just man-made borders, but a lot of the you know, native history and culture here goes beyond the borders, the Salish, you know, other groups, right? And so there's a lot of connections. We'll be doing a large symposium on um, fire and economic dignity next fall with our several partners. Um, Whitman College on the grant is working on the Next West Media Lab, which is really interesting. It's um, a series of podcasts and other recordings and digital histories looking at um, public lands and sort of notions of settler colonialism that have existed and how they've been recreated um, even to present day in Eastern Oregon and Eastern Washington. And what's interesting about that too is sort of saying, here we are, the West Coast, which always gets um, funneled as uh, or defined as the, the West Southern California where I'm from or the Southwest. But we actually have a chapter to write here too. And if we don't write it, someone else is going to write it without the voices we want to include. And so, um, so they've labeled that project at Whitman, the Next West Lab, which saying, well, the Next West also includes the Pacific Northwest, which I think is really beautiful and a nice way to kind of put it. And so I think as we bring in different tribes through those projects, we're also doing, um, Ali has been doing wonderful work with the Healers Project. And is and so we're able to kind of use a lot of the digital services, Kate Thornhill, Franny Gady, amazing people here at the U of O to be able to help us. And so we've been doing a lot of mentorship with our own GE students. Um, some of them coming with native backgrounds in order to sort of help them learn new digital trainings and knowledge. Because I think what we're noticing too is a lot of the work that, that goes into this comes from a specific set of values that isn't just let's get a project done we promise something like there's this long-term longitudinal kind of connection that we have and in thinking about it that way I think it makes us kind of really stop and think how do we approach this work um, you know how does that actually fit the mission and so there's a lot we have to say no to that doesn't necessarily fit but it's only also helping conserve our energy to the things we do I think for us too we 
we realize that we're not the only group at UO doing this work. And there are a lot of people not involved in the grant that are doing amazing work. Um, and so there's a space in terms of some of the other projects and the fellowships where those faculty can be involved if they'd like to. So let's, uh, there's so many things that the JFI does. Um, tell us about the Pacific Northwest Atlas of Essential Work. Great. So the Atlas of Essential Work, um, this is a project that I'm working on with Stephanie um, and Sarah Stokel. And this is great. This is also with our infographics lab and Bob Bussell also at the Labor Education Research Center is one of our advisors. Basically what we were doing is saying, here's this term essential work that has really been codified during uh, COVID and the initial outbreaks and continuing and saying, what are these sort of stories of essential work? We know of agricultural work here, and it's sort of a California 2.0. My family's agricultural history in California, my family actually ended up here in the late 70s in Southern Oregon, and there's a chapter there, but uh, not in the Atlas, but just in my own history. And so in thinking about that, we thought, what if we did a digital project that focused on what essential work looks like here? And we really brainstormed, well, it's viticulture, it's timber work, it's um, ecotourism, it's salmon fishing, it's all these kinds of things. And what we landed on was saying, if we had to export an idea of some of the most vulnerable essential workers here, um, we would like to focus on um, carceral firefighting, uh, care work in the state, also mostly done by newcomers, mostly immigrants, and agricultural and farm worker history. And so we're working with the infographics lab. They've been great partners in um, the next two years trying to develop. So we've been working with um, faculty who already have existing research and looking to see how we can highlight that in a new mode. This will include oral histories, videos, a lot of data visualization graphics, uh, a whole website. And what our plan for this is to not just let it all out at the end, but a big thing for me as the director of the Institute has really been, how can we talk about the challenges and the successes and lessons of some of the projects as we go forward? And like, we start trickling out some of that work. So it's not this three-year project and at the end, um, we're like, okay, here it is, but say, we actually have a lot to say about how you approach this work. And maybe those are lessons for some of our other partners. So another one of the um, initiatives that you're involved with is the Collaborative for Inclusive Urbanism. What is that? So the Collaborative for Inclusive Urbanism started several years ago. It was Gerard Sandoval in 3PM, Howard Davis in architecture, and Brooke Mueller, um, who used to be in architecture. And, um, and they basically started this platform that was cross-cutting across the College of Design to look at the different ways, including policy, not just physical design, that planning, design, and all of these built environment and urbanism fields can approach this. And so they've got several people involved in this, and there's some comparative work happening at the international level, in Europe, a refugee crisis in Germany, other places, um, the Marshall Islands and indigeneity. What we decided to do, it went dormant for a while, and so Jim Buckley really wanted to take the lead in preservation and kind of reform this and resuscitate it. And so we've been able to do that with this grant. And for us, um, he's working on several projects. One of them is a great story maps project with existing work he's doing in the Albina Corridor, a large African-American Black community in Portland that is going through severe displacement and uneven development right now. 
with all the changes in Portland. And then um, he's also, we decided to do the Pacific Northwest Field School. Uh, every year, the students in the Historic Preservation Department have a field school. That's normally been what, you know, cultural landscapes and historic preservation are like really pastoral, you know, something with state parks, which has been great. But Jim pro proposed doing something more urban where we can bring in community workers and community experts and community activist fellows, sort of elders like, you know, in residence to be able to help the students learn. Because what we're seeing is that once Oregon doesn't have large populations, as we know of a lot of these underrepresented groups, but those that do exist are really clinging and hanging on. And it really is something we can do with this grant to try to preserve some of those histories, whether that's in a digital humanities format, a public history format, anything like that. And so um, some of the projects I'm working on with the Collaborative for Inclusive Urbanism have been more um, comparative, looking at comparative work with new immigrant destinations. Um, me and Gerard Sandoval and Joanna Bernstein, um, a PhD student in 3PM, um, uh, did a project and we're publishing some research now on the evolution of equity planning over the last 60 years as our field in planning has really thought about it and where the gaps are. And then I've done a lot of work with this on looking at Asian American, um, anti-Asian American AAPI discrimination due to COVID, what our policy using Portland and other places in the area as a case. So you've already mentioned a couple of times of uh, the relations that JFI has with the UO's environment initiative. Will you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so um, uh, Jill Elizabeth and Adele Amos have been really wonderful partners and the Environment Initiative is um, run by them. The Environment Initiative is one of the provost's five key strategies here that sort of permeate the entire university. And so it's been interesting because what we've been able to do, it's, um, it's definitely a lift to get a new institute during these times off the ground here. And so what JFI has become is sort of a pilot in helping e the EI, the Environment Initiative, understand sort of the lessons we've learned in creating something like this, because we're also pulling across campus. We're not just based in one unit. We even have people in the sciences also involved in some of the grants um, projects. But what we're thinking also is we recently did, I was the inaugural Environment Initiative Fellow, a new faculty fellowship they started last fall. And so I did a project with them, a workshop on our research data and justice principles. We have about 12 of those that guide our work and inform how we take on new partners and how we honor those partners and respect that work in a reciprocal relationship. That is an extractive. And so I think for us, um, uh, EI, we're sort of growing at the same time. And as EI is sort of doing a lot of different um, convenings with different units and groups, trying to figure out where the gaps are, how can UO help the faculty here and students really become the place. If, if there was one goal with this, at the end of all of this, I'd say that this would become a school where everyone would say, this is the place you go to for the environmental humanities intersecting with race. This is the place. And we know there are many schools where you go, that's where you go to for XYZ or that. And we would love you all for be, to become that. Are there any other JFI initiatives uh, that you'd like to share with us before we come to the end of the interview? 
Um, sure. I think um, uh, we're doing a lot of work with the um, state of immigrants right now um, uh, and doing some work trying to get more policy involved and policymakers meeting with local and state senators. And so that's been good. Um, I think we've got um, for academic incentives, we're hosting several postdoctoral fellows starting next year, which is great, all working on the Pacific Northwest, which is something we learned that we could even there are people working on the Pacific Northwest issues on race and climate that are even outside of the region. Um, I would say that um, uh, Lauro Pulido is working on a wonderful project with historical highway markers and looking at issues of white supremacy um, and how that's embedded in, in some of the state landmarks. Um, the Stories of Fire project, I think, is really wonderful. We have several artists and residents at the University of Idaho looking at that, looking at the role of fiction and how it's this really great polyvocal project that looking at everyone has a different way to do this. But what we're finding across the, the landscape with all of this work is how much of this um, is really um, can be siloed if we allow it to be. And so we've built in several symposium and projects. We're doing a big um, gathering um, in a few weeks with all of our projects, looking at all of our themes to give ourselves a time to connect and come together. I think what happens for a lot of us is that we are um, maybe not necessarily all extroverts, but we all like just the human contact, being there with people, hearing these stories. And for me as a planner, it's like, you know, whatever scale I'm working on, city, region, suburb, um, rural like they're all human stories affected by the work that we do and more and more as we see these are like the most pressing things that not even the region's dealing with the country and the world what's happening with like the climate emergency and also where we are with trying to understand the legacies of like racial discrimination and trying to stop that and trying to show, I still believe in the value that higher ed can place and show and inspire our students to become like active change makers for that type of work. Well, John, that is a wonderful way to uh, stop this interview. We've come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today and thank you especially for the amazing work that you're doing as the director of the Pacific Northwest Just Futures Institute for Racial and Climate Justice. It's an amazing institute, and it's a tremendous benefit to the U of O that you've helped to bring it here. Thank you, Paul, and a big fan of OHC. Thank you for inviting me once again. I've been speaking with John Arroyo, assistant professor in the School of Planning, Public Policy and Management, director and director of the Pacific Northwest Just Futures Institute for Racial and climate justice at the University of Oregon. Thank you so much for watching.